What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. As always, I am your host, Maverick Levy. Thank you for tuning in, for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you're a regular listener, you know that in the initial intro part of the podcast, I always go over a few of the same things. So I will do that again today as well. Please go take a look at the social media pages for the podcast. The username across all platforms is the same, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TBOTB pod. Also, make sure you go look around the website, interact with it a little bit. If you want to learn more about a guest, you want to contact the guest, or you just want to put a face with the voice that you hear, definitely go check out the website. The website is tbotbpod.com. And as always, please remember the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, let's get right into today's interview so myself and more so the guests can educate you all on some more topics that were not taught in school. So on today's show, I would like to welcome Stuart Gold, who is a partner at the law firm Gold Lang Major. I'm t- I t- before we went over this, so I, he's got to help me. What is it? Majors and Small R's? You're doing good. You're doing good. Majors right and there. Small R's based in Detroit, Michigan. And Stuart is one of the best of the best bankruptcy attorneys there is. So welcome to the show, Stuart. How are you doing? Hey, thanks, Maverick. It's great to be here with you and uh, looking forward to this presentation today. Yeah, it's going to be a very informative episode for the listeners out there. Hopefully, they never end up having to file bankruptcy or even call you, but it's a great thing to know in life, to understand. You see it in the news sometimes. This person filed for bankruptcy, that person filed for bankruptcy. So it's definitely good to understand how this actually works in reality. So I start my interviews off pretty much all the same way. And that's just asking some background questions about yourself so the listeners can build a relationship with you. So where did you grow up, Stuart? I'm a Detroiter. I've been grow- I grew up there a long, long time ago, and uh, and never, never left, left very far. <laughs> yeah, never, never left. And where did you go to law school? So I went to uh, Cooley Law School up in Lansing. Okay. Right when it uh, first opened up, I was the fifth graduating class. Oh wow, um, that's awesome! I used to uh, drive by there when I was. Living in East Lansing prior to COVID for Michigan State, I would drive right by Cooley. There was an awesome juice place I would go to right by the Capitol, and I would always pass by Cooley. And knowing that I wanted to go to law school, I always told myself I will never go to Cooley <laughs> because I did not a fan of East Lansing. So you wanted to get out of there. Yeah, I wanted to definitely well, get I, out of there. That's what I told everybody. I wanted to get out of Ann Arbor, so I went to East Lansing. <laughs> I, that's that's an interesting choice of a change for sure. I was always jealous of the Ann Arbor friends that I had because they always had great food. It is a a great community. You can't compare the two cities. Even though I'm a Michigan state, I'm a Sparty, you can't compare Ann Arbor and East Lansing. And if you try and say East Lansing's better, you're you're a liar. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you are. Uh, So what are your areas that you practice law in? Is it specifically an only bankruptcy? Yeah, I'd say for the last 35 years or so, that's all I've ever done is is bankruptcy-related law. But we've expanded it a little bit, Maverick, because it brings into some insolvency issues that don't go into bankruptcy. 
you know, one of the things I always practice is that I always feel that bankruptcy is generally your last option. So I look for other options. You know, can we do other workouts? Can we deal with uh, these issues outside of bankruptcy and see if we can avoid turning things over to an independent trustee, for example? So, um, so our insolvency practice deals with, and we'll get into it a little later, but yeah. dissolutions of businesses outside of bankruptcy and liquidations of assets that way. Got it. Yeah, no, that's definitely something we'll talk about later is right. other options besides bankruptcy. So we definitely want to hold off on there. My next question is one that I've started to ask all my guests that come on. It's just, how have you been lately? You know, this world <laughs> for the past almost year now has been crazy. It's impacted everyone differently. But how are you doing? Well, I appreciate that. I actually was one of the lucky uh, first few to get my uh, vaccine shot. So I, I'm totally vaccinated. That is awesome. I guess that, that tells you my age. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if, you, if you're thinking that that means he's older, Stuart is really... He just turned 35 years there old, you and you Thank couldn't you. even tell. That means I cut the line, right, yeah. Maverick. I don't want to say that. <laughs> but uh, I did get the uh, both vaccines, and I was lucky enough to get out of Michigan and come down to Florida for the last two weeks, so I've avoided the cold and the snow that all my friends are dealing with today. So otherwise, doing great. Yeah, just that's awesome. Great. And obviously, this is not a visual podcast, so you cannot see where we are, but we are in my office, specifically in the conference room down in Delray Beach. Florida, which Stuart is definitely right. Uh, we are both Michiganders, and it is <laughs> Michigan is not somewhere you want to be right now, <laughs> especially with all the snowfall going on. But unless you're a skier, then it's okay. Yeah, it's still ski, a little cold. Uh, skiing in Michigan sucks, nah, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fun snowmobiling, maybe if you're a okay. snowmobiler. Um, but now let's get into bankruptcy because it's an interesting topic. It's something that I'm going to be learning as well. I'm not that educated on it, so. Obviously, you are a bankruptcy attorney. You're one of the best of the, the best. How did you get involved with bankruptcy law? Was this something you knew you wanted to do, or did you just fall into it out of coincidence? You know, interesting. In law school, I took a course in estate and gift tax, and the book was just the tax code for estate and gift tax. It was very thin, and it just had a few provisions, a few statutory provisions. And I said, oh, this is interesting. I could find most of the answers to my questions in this one little book. And um, after I took that course, I took a bankruptcy course. And back then, bankruptcy was going through a, a major overhaul. We were dealing with an act back from 1898 all the way through 1977. And in 1978, we came up with a whole new bankruptcy code. And so I learned both the 77 law and the 1978 code. But again, it was like a state and gift tax. There was a finite amount of statutes that I had to recognize and deal with. So when you say that it went through this major change, can you give a little bit of background of what that change was, what it used to be, and what it, what yeah. it is now? Well, the, one of the major changes is that they empowered the bankruptcy court by giving us judges. We used to deal with referees or magistrates, basically. And now we had these judges that are called Article I judges, which is under the U.S. Constitution, versus Article Three judges, which is uh, what most federal judges are under the U.S. Uh, Constitution. So we got these Article I judges, and they were sort of elevated, so to speak, to deal with bankruptcy exclusively, uh, matters that came into the bankruptcy court. So that was the major thing. The next thing that happened was they uh, elevated the trustee program, and that's where I got involved. In 1986, 
I got appointed as a United States federal bankruptcy trustee for the Eastern District of Michigan. And what, just to stop you right there, what is a trustee? So when an individual or a business files any type of, I shouldn't say any type, but a chapter seven bankruptcy, we'll talk about that specifically, but a liquidating bankruptcy, the court through the U.S. trustee program, which is under the executive Legis- uh, executive branch of government. Yeah. I don't want to get too technical. Anyway, appoints a trustee, and the trustee's job is to take assets from the debtor that are not protected one way or another and sell those assets and pay off the, the creditors. Okay, got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now let's take a step back here, and I want to ask you the question, what is bankruptcy, right? If someone asked you to explain what it was to them and they had no prior knowledge about (laughs) bankruptcy or anything, what would you say to them? It's a way to deal with your debts. So there's really two forms of bankruptcy. There's a liquidation bankruptcy and a reorganizational bankruptcy. So a lot of times on the news, you hear about these chapter 11s. What is chapter 11? Why do I keep hearing about chapter 11? This business went in. And so chapter 11 is for a business who has suffered some problems financially to rehabilitate and reorganize. And you come up with a plan called a plan of reorganization. And so a chapter 11 allows you that opportunity to reorganize your debts in some form or manner. And there's a whole bunch of rules to deal with that. Got it. And so I'm assuming then the liquidation means that you're liquidating whatever you can turn into cash. Or if you do have a retirement fund, anything like that, you're going to liquidate that money. No, don't go there. Retirement funds are protected assets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, So 401ks are cool. IRAs are cool. Most pensions are what we call ERISA qualified, which is you know the statute that protects them. So no, there are a number of assets that are protected both under the federal bankruptcy code and and your state exemption statute. Wow, that's yeah. that's very interesting. So you me. get houses. Some houses are up to a certain dollar amount are protected. Uh, cars can be protected. Certain jewelry can be protected. Household goods and furnishings, clothing. Wow, even that's your interesting. dog. That's interesting. <laughs> The dog is probably the most yeah, important one. Yeah, I was going to say, there. most people want to protect the dog. Yeah, for sure. So you sort of have this understanding now for the listeners of what bankruptcy is if you didn't know. And so why would someone file bankruptcy? What is usually the typical reason that a person does file bankruptcy? Yeah, it's a great question. Let me back up for just a moment. We're, we're dealing in a, in a pandemic, right? The COVID issues. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are out of work and they're not getting paid. And now they have rent that's due or a mortgage payment that's due or car payments that due. And they're using credit cards or doing whatever they can to stay alive, to maintain their lifestyle and, and, and hopefully get a job to move forward after this is all done and over with. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't play out. And so as a result, they need relief. And so the bankruptcy code is there. You know, this bankruptcy concept's been around for a long, long time. The term bankruptcy actually comes from a Latin term because in the old days, back in the Roman days, you didn't pay your debts as a tradesman, as somebody you know selling goods and wares in the marketplace. They broke your bench, and that's what <laughs> bankruptcy means: broken bench in Latin. That's funny. So it's been around. The concept's been around forever, and it's in the U.S. Constitution. You know, we we uh, Congress makes laws that deal with bankruptcy, so it's been around forever, and so it's there to protect society, quite honestly. Because if we didn't have it, we would have a lot of people out in the street right? With nothing to wear, no clothing, and being, you know, uh, a ward on society. So bankruptcy is there to help us all, not only the debtor, but also society to deal with people that have failed. 
Got it. So it's the last resort, pretty much, like you said in the beginning. I, yeah. I, you know, when I talk about it, I think it's an important factor in a capitalistic society that we live in because we want people to take risk. We want entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so you're going to get people to take those risks more often if they know if they failed, they can get out of their failure and move on to the next project. Yeah. And so that's what bankruptcy is there. It provides what we call a safety net. For those people that want to go into a business and give it all that they can. And we know that sometimes it doesn't work out all the time. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. So, you know, give it a try. If it doesn't work out, bankruptcy is there for you if you need it. If you need it. And I think that's an important part. Uh, a lot of the listeners of the show have a, are of a younger age bracket, more so yeah, anywhere from high school to 30s, maybe a little older than that. I know I have some listeners that are older than that, but... What I want to go into for a second here is talking about that safety net and talking about taking risks because a lot of the time on my show, I have entrepreneurs on here that have started businesses. They've built brands from the ground up. And what a common theme has been for all of these people is they say, when you're younger, take the risk. Because when you're older, you have a family, you have payments that are due, whether it's health insurance, life insurance, mortgage payments, school, whatever it may be, you're not going to be as willing to take those risks. So... I just wanted to go back and say, here again, we have another perspective of someone who is in a totally different field than, you know, he is a business owner technically, but an entrepreneurship type attitude where he's telling you that this is in place to enable people to take risks, to benefit our society, to advance our society to the most it can be. So I want you all to take that literally and understand that while it is technically considered a safety net, you know, it is a very last resort safety net. And I always say, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know this, that in order to succeed in life, anything you do in life, you must fail. That's I'm a true believer in that. You, you don't learn anything about yourself. You don't learn anything about a situation unless you have experienced failure at one point or another, but you have to get up, you have to persevere, walk past it, know what I did wrong in that situation. So, well said. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And because it's important, right? A lot of people my age, they're just, you know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I won't. Is it too risky for me to do this? There's no, you're, we're so young at this age. We haven't experienced life. I, a lot of people, I used to be one. I used to think I knew it all. I knew everything. No one could teach me anything. And I completely changed that a few years back. I always want to be learning. That's something else I say in the show. Always be learning, always be growing. But Back to bankruptcy now. I just wanted to give the listeners a little side note there. We had to go off track. We'll bring us back on now. Let's go over the different types of bankruptcy. And if I'm not mistaken, I've done my due diligence correctly. There are six chapters is the specific way to call them of bankruptcy. So we'll take a deep dive into those. And I believe it's always a chapter and then a number follows the chapter. Right. I, I hope that I'm going down the right path here. So you're doing good. So there's six. Is that right? All right. I'll, I'll, but most of them are <laughs> limited to about three. Okay. All right. So we'll go through the ones that you think we should talk about and sure. we should explain and what they mean and how they actually work. So I'll sort of leave the ball in your court on this one. We can start at whatever it is, chapter right. seven, whatever yeah, it is. We'll move on up the line. All Let's right. Let's do it. So as we talked about a minute ago, we have two different types of bankruptcies to begin with, two classifications, the liquidation bankruptcies and the, cha and the reorganizational bankruptcies. Chapter seven is the liquidation bankruptcy. It's really the only one that where you liquidate assets. And that's for individuals who really can't 
come up with a plan to reorganize. When I say an individual, I mean an individual person or a business. And that's because they don't have any resources. They've, they've dried up all their credit. They can't go back into the credit markets. They have no other income coming in, and they need full and complete relief. We call that a discharge. That's the final word in Chapter 7. You file the bankruptcy, and your relief is a discharge, a relief of all your debts, basically. So that's the format in the liquidation Chapter 7 case. As I mentioned, Chapter 7, trustee is appointed. Make sure you don't have any assets, or if you do have assets that are not protected, as we talked about the exemptions, those are liquidated for the benefit of creditors. Next up the line is a Chapter uh, 9. We saw the city of Detroit do that, and that's for governmental units, basically. I did one of the first Chapter 9s in the state of Michigan. It was, wasn't a big city. It was actually a hospital. Back in the day, that was, uh, but it was a governmentally owned hospital. So that's when you, and that's very rare. I mean, we see them, you know, one or two in the country across the year, but not too many Chapter 9s are filed. So is Chapter 9 specifically for governmental yes. institutions? That's all it is. Wow, that's crazy. So is that of reorganization? It is. Bankruptcy? Right, just like the city of Detroit went through. Um, and, and other cities across the country have needed relief from their debts, mostly because of pension debts. Yeah. Uh, because they've overpromised and don't have the resources to pay those pension obligations and they need to get out of them. Wow, and bankruptcy that's crazy. Allows them the the government that. gave themselves yeah. a way out yeah, on that it one. Yeah, it really is. States cannot file bankruptcy, but cities and, and municipalities can. Wow, that's very interesting. But you need, in the state of Michigan anyway, you need the permission of the state to file. Uh, you can't. The city can't vote to file on their own without the uh, state providing uh, that permission. So we have the Chapter 9, then we have the Chapter 11. This is another form of reorganization, and that's what you read about mostly these big businesses are going into Chapter 11. You're seeing them now more of the clothing stores that are having trouble. Art Band recently in Detroit went through it, the furniture store. Um, we talk about it as a reorganization, but a lot of times if you don't reorganize in 11, you can, it's sort of weird, but you can file what's called a liquidation plan, of reorganization in a chapter 11. So you can say, my plan is to sell all my assets to company B and move on from there. And those assets then are sold and the creditors are satisfied from the sale. So even though it's a form of liquidation, it's still a plan that comes out of a chapter 11 for a company. And a chapter 11 only for businesses or can that be for an individual it, it, person? It can be for individuals and we'll go through that uh, in just a moment. Okay. It's a rarity, but it, it, it's there. Now, it's a very good question and good timing because Congress, in its infinite wisdom, came up with, I call it a, a Chapter 11 light. It's a little less intrusive um, and allows for individuals to file a Chapter 11 plan if they don't qualify for other types of relief. We'll go through that in just a moment. So the answer to your question is yes, individuals can file a straight Chapter 11 just like big companies can or they can file this Chapter 11 light, which allows them to secure a plan of reorganization a lot easier, a lot less creditor involvement in a Chapter 11 light than what you have in the, it's really called a sub-5, if you really want to get technical, sub-5 Chapter 11. Gets a little crazy with the numbers. But Congress put that into the bankruptcy code back at last February, a year ago now. Um, it First, it was limited to individuals and companies with only $2.7 in debt, which sounds like a lot of money, but somewhat limiting. 
Uh, but when COVID hit, uh, they jumped those numbers up to seven and a half million. Wow, that's a huge jump. And to go back for a sec, what was the cause why they put that in place? Why did they say it's going to pertain to individuals now? Well, again, you still could do this uh, in individual 11. The difficulty with it is in the chapter 11, the creditors get to vote. And, and their vote can really uh, deride a plan, can really confuse a plan that won't get approved. This Chapter 11 light sort of takes some of that creditor involvement away. There are no creditors committees, which can be costly. And the U.S. trustee who oversees these Chapter 11 cases also charges fees in the Chapter 11 case, but there are no fees in the Chapter 11 light case. Got it. And it gets even more technical. We have a, a, a term that we use called the absolute priority rule, which causes some problems in when you're dealing with classifications of creditors, who gets paid first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And uh, those eased up in the sub five cases. Yeah, I could only imagine that. that <laughs> so I don't want to go into. Yeah, what kind of fight that would be between yeah, no, those creditors. No, no deep dive there. But so this chapter 11 light really came in at a good time for businesses and individuals who don't otherwise qualify for the next type of bankruptcy, which is a chapter 12. And that's for family farmers. And that was, uh, that grew out of the family farmer crisis, the farm crisis back in the 1980s. Uh, to allow family farms to stay with the family and reorganize under a specific set of rules that Chapter 11 couldn't deal with back in the day. So Have you ever dealt with any Chapter 11 farming? I've dealt with Chapter 12 farming. Or excuse me, yeah. Chapter 12 farming. Yeah, absolutely. That You know what's really bizarre is I'm actually taking a class right now that's focused on environmental justice. And specifically, we had been learning about farmings and how uh -huh. the, these family-owned farms are sort of getting yeah. pushed out. Yeah. So that's very interesting. So you've seen a lot of those? Absolutely. Well, I, I personally haven't seen them because I'm in southeastern Michigan, yeah, so there aren't too of course, many family farms around. But, um, but clearly, they uh, they had a need, and uh, Congress answered it. And, wow. and it's done a great job. It wow. really has protected them. Wow. And that's it allows amazing. them, again, to reorganize and keep the farm and the family, of course and and, uh, and reorganize and pay back their debts over time. That's awesome. And then we have the 13. So this is where a lot of individuals file Chapter 13. Only individuals can file Chapter 13. Businesses can't. They have to go into this 11 or the 11 light. So Chapter 13 was the primary way for an individual to reorganize. And again, it's very similar to an 11 in the sense that you file a plan. And I always tell clients, it's your plan. It's not the attorney's plan, it's not the judge's plan, it's not the creditor's plan, it's not the chapter 13 trustee's plan, it's your plan. Let's look at your finances, let's see what money's coming in, let's look at your expenses, what's going out, what do you got left over? And if you have, you know, a, a good ready source of income and you can make some changes in your expenses, then you can afford a plan of reorganization to pay back some or all of your debt over, you can't exceed five years. So three to five years is a general chapter 13 plan. So this plan that one would be making, they are essentially making a plan to pay off what the debt that's owed right. and essentially change their money that's coming in and going out on an annual basis to reflect paying back what's right. owed. Yeah, and, and you, know, you can make a choice. Like let's say you bought a car last year and you have a car payment, and all of a sudden you lost your job. You can't afford this car anymore. 
So the chapter 13 would allow you what we call a surrender, the vehicle, and you can get something less expensive. And that's one way and not be subject to being having to pay back that debt. Yeah. Okay. So may, so be aware of what you're going to be spending <laughs> on your car payment. <laughs> well, everybody's got to have a car these days, pretty much. You know, it's, it's sort of needed, uh, especially in the, in the state of Michigan, where we uh, don't have mass transportation. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's somewhat of a requirement source. But but again, if you bought a new car and, and all of a sudden you lost your job, you need to get out of it. So yeah. one way is a bankruptcy option. So chapter 13 allows an individual to reorganize, but those 13 debts are somewhat limited in amount. You cannot have debts in excess roughly $400,000 of unsecured debt. And so if you exceed the debt limit of a chapter 13 and you still want to reorganize, then you got to go into a chapter 11, either light or, or a full chapter 11. So that's why you got to look at it from a lot of different angles. So they set these ceilings in terms of how much debt you can have and if you exceed the, that amount. And why is it that they're setting these ceilings at certain dollar amounts? What would be your guess as to that? I, th I think it's because as you move up the line, critters get more involved. Like in a Chapter 13, critters aren't involved at all. The Chapter 13 plan, as long as it meets certain statutory requirements, it's got to be filed in good faith. It's got to meet what we call best effort test and a liquidation test. But if you meet these three tests, there's no vote by the critters at all. All right? But if your debts are substantially more, then the creditors should have a little bit more say. So we go to the next step, which is this chapter 11 sub 5 that just came into being. And creditors have some say, but not a lot of say. Got it. <laughs> and then when you go over the 7 million mark, you move into the full-fledged chapter 11 where creditors have a bigger stake. Got in it. the game. And that I guess that makes sense when you think about it from that perspective, because you take them out of the equation, open up some room for some other things, or if you put them in it, changes the dynamic of the situation a little bit. So is that is that all of them pretty much? Yeah, there's a chapter fifteen, which nobody ever worked does, but Okay. Okay. So we don't need to go over that. Listen, <laughs> Stuart the best of the best, he's saying no one does it, so we'll, well just breathe. There's, there's international insolvencies, so cross border insolvencies. We do get some from Canada occasionally. So it does happen, but very infrequently. Got it. Got it. We'll have to bring him back on and talk about that chapter fifteen. <laughs> uh so if a person files for bankruptcy uh, even depending on whatever chapter they file, is all of their debt taken away or is it is every single item or creditor that they owe money to, I guess item isn't the right word, is every creditor they owe money to going to essentially get paid back once everything has been set in stone? So if you do uh, you know, have things, then you turn them liquid so then you can go and pay them off or if you reorganize to then pay them off, they're always going to get paid off. But are there any where that bankruptcy isn't going to protect that debt? Great question. So let's take them a little bit one at a time a little bit there. There's, there's basically two types of debt. There's what we call unsecured debt and secured debt. So when you go through law school, you'll take a class called secured transactions. And so most individuals have two types of secured debt, a car and a house. Okay. So if you have a car loan and you borrowed money, the bank wants collateral. Collateral is the car. That makes it a secure debt. You borrow money to buy a house. They give you the money. They take a security interest called a mortgage on your house. When you file bankruptcy, all that debt goes away. That's great news. But you don't get a free house <laughs> <laughs> or a free car. Yeah. Because the lien on those properties 
doesn't go away. So if you want to keep the house or the car, you got to maintain your payments. If you don't maintain your payments, the bank can repossess or foreclose on the house. Now that's to be differentiated from an unsecured credit card debt. You don't pay your credit card debt, that gets released. You don't have any further liability, they have no collateral, and they do not get paid in a Chapter 7 liquidation unless I, as the Chapter 7 trustee, find some assets to pay them with. Otherwise, most Chapter 7 cases are what we call no-asset cases, meaning there are no assets over and above the allowed exemptions, and, and creditors get zero in a Chapter 7. So what happens to someone's credit, whether unsecured, secured debt? What happens to someone's credit after they successfully, actually, I don't know if I want to say <laughs> successfully <laughs> complete bankruptcy, but after they do have to file bankruptcy? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I used to draw a number line when my kids were younger. We used to deal with number lines in elementary school and say, all right, you got a zero in the middle and you got a negative 10 on one side and a plus 10 on the other side. So a lot of people have great credit and they're on the 10 side. When you file for a bankruptcy, you're going to go quickly down that number line to a minus eight, minus nine, basically, all the way as far as you can go. But if you start working on a chapter 13, for example, that pays back some of your debt, you're not going to fall as far back on that number line as a chapter seven that paid back zero. So you might be a negative six or a negative seven. The bigger question, in my opinion, is how fast do you recover from a bankruptcy? That was my next question. All right. All right. Great minds think alike. Yeah, Look at I can't that. even read your notes there. Yeah. But, <laughs> but absolutely. So the, the key to re, rebuilding it, first of all, is get a steady job, right? Steady income. You know, or multiple. Eat. Yeah. <laughs> and start building credit slowly. I always tell clients, first of all, to get what's called a secured line of credit. We talked about secured just a few seconds ago. You can go to a credit union, give them 500 bucks, and they'll give you a credit line up to 500 bucks, all right? Because they know if you yeah. don't pay them back, they got 500 bucks of yours on deposit. So you got this credit line with the, with the credit union, use that card every month, go you know, spend 100 bucks, pay it back like clockwork every month. After six months, you've used it, Pay it back on clock like clockwork. Go back to the credit union. See if they'll increase your line up to a thousand bucks. Now they're only fifty percent at risk yeah. at, at that point. Yeah. And that's how you do it. My experience with my clients is that really once they've gotten back to working, it takes about eighteen to twenty-four months before they get back into the credit markets. Got Doesn't it. mean you can't get a car. Everyone's oh, I filed bankruptcy. I can't get a car. Not true. But you're going to be paying eighteen percent. In interest yeah. because you're a higher risk factor. Yeah. So the goal of rebuilding your credit is to reduce that exposure. Yeah. And I did have actually the VP of consumer lending for Lake Michigan Credit Union on the podcast a few weeks back talking about that exactly. If you, if you fall behind on your credit, you know, if you don't pay your bills, we didn't actually bring up bankruptcy, but indirectly we did because we talked about if your credit goes to shit because you didn't pay your bills and now you're in this hole, can you ever dig yourself out of that hole? And Stuart's saying, yeah, it's possible to do. It might be timely, but it is possible. You know, the scary thing for me a little bit, I shouldn't say it's scary, but as I said right at the beginning, bankruptcy is going to be hopefully your last option. You're going to do whatever you can to avoid it. You're going to go to a credit counselor. You're going to deal with whatever you need to deal with and, and see if you can avoid it. But it's, you know, it's there, as we talked about, as a safety net. As a Chapter 7 trustee, though, 
I get assigned roughly 100 cases a month from the bankruptcy court. Wow. Yeah, I get a lot of cases. Uh, and there's you know, about 10 of us on the panel, so that means about you know 1,000 cases a month are being filed in the Eastern District of Michigan. What amazes me, though, is that one of the questions we always ask is, have you filed for bankruptcy before? And that's because you can't file successive Chapter 7 bankruptcies within eight years. It used to be six years, and they increased it up to eight years. So we want to make sure that they're not trying to get in you know, too soon. And what I see, and you can file 13s all, all day long, it doesn't matter. But what I see is there are a lot of repeat filers. And that means to me, A, they haven't learned their lesson, number one. Number two, the creditors haven't necessarily learned their lesson yeah. because they're giving credit to an individual that obviously is a risk. Is a risk and having trouble dealing with their finances. Wow, that's, so I see that a lot. That's crazy. That's crazy. So now let's go through the process, right? Someone calls your office. They say, "I need the best of the best to help me. You know, I'm having issues. I dug myself in this hole." I didn't really want to confront it, but now I have to confront it. I think I need to file bankruptcy. What is going to be that general process of from the time someone contacts your office to the time that they do actually file bankruptcy? Sure. Well, I try to create a balance sheet. Balance sheet is a list of an individual's assets on one side and a list of liabilities on the other. I want to know what that individual has and what that individual might lose in a bankruptcy, what assets aren't protected, such as retirement accounts that we talked about our cars and mortgages on houses and things of that nature. So we, we prepare this list and then we see how much debt there is. Quite honestly, if I have an individual with one or two debts, I'm going to try and talk to that individual to try and do a workout. What can we do to work with these one or two creditors? Three or four, maybe five or six, it gets a little unwieldy because... So when you say a workout, you mean instead of filing bankruptcy, we're going to go to the creditors on your behalf and saying, what deal can we work out? What what can we negotiate so my client doesn't have to file bankruptcy and instead they can get on a payment plan with you directly or Absolutely. I don't know if you make an offer. I don't know how that works. Is that no, what that means? That's, that's exactly what it means. It's an out-of-court workout. Got it. Basically. So that's an alternative option so you don't have to file bankruptcy. Right. But that only works, like you said, if you have few, few. creditors. Right. That's why I said at the beginning of your program, we're in insolvency practice, not just solely a bankruptcy practice. Yeah. So we deal with all these issues. And sometimes credit counseling can work for one or two or three or four creditors. So we want to see you know, what that universe is and, and uh, how much debt that you are in. So we try and create this balance sheet. If we decide that uh, bankruptcy makes some sense, then we go through those options that I just went through. Do we deal with Chapter 7? Do you have the resources to come up with a Chapter 13 plan? Chapter 13 not only is for individuals who have the resources to pay back some or all of their debt, but it also protects assets. Let's say you do have a car that you want to keep, all right? You could propose a plan that says, hey, I want to keep this car, and I'll make these payments. I'm going to restructure the note, though. I can't pay the $600 a month. I can only do $300 a month. And you can restructure that car payment through a Chapter 13. When I first got started back in the 1980s, uh, we were dealing with a lot of mortgage foreclosures. Chapter 13 was a great tool for an individual that got behind on their mortgage because of a uh, layoff at work. Because they got behind, they had what we call an arrearage on that mortgage. And we could take that arrearage 
and, and pay it off over 36, 48, or 60 months. It was a great way for that person to stay in that house, maintain that mortgage payment, and then get caught up on that arrearage. And Chapter 13 was a great, powerful tool to do it. We still do that today. Got it. So going back to the process, so they come in, you figure out if it's going to be a, a viable option or, or if there's an alternative option that they don't have to go through the whole bankruptcy court system and wait and then go to all the hearings and whatnot. So that's going to be that process. And if you end up having to file bankruptcy, you file it, you move on with your life, you try and build back your credit up. Now, a, a question I have is if someone is in the midst of filing bankruptcy and whether they're doing an organizational restructure of their funds and their financials, or if they are going to, you know, have to liquefy some of their assets and things like that. Is there ever a, a case where the bankruptcy court disallows their bankruptcy? Is that ever happened? Yes. Bankruptcy is for the poor but honest debtor. And unfortunately, there are some poor but dishonest debtors. And so the bankruptcy code, which is the Bible that I rely on every day, contains certain provisions to weed out those dishonest debtors. So there are two main sections of the bankruptcy code that deals with these. And then there's criminal sections beyond the statutory civil penalties. But let's say an individual has a lot of debt, but one of the debt was incurred fraudulently, okay, through an embezzlement or a conversion or some, some wrongful act by the debtor. The bankruptcy code says that if the creditor comes in and objects, they could file a lawsuit in the bankruptcy for a determination that this debt should be, we use the term, accepted from the debtor's discharge. So all the other debts can go away, but this one particular debt that was incurred fraudulently is not discharged in the general case. Got it. So you can... Uh, you can do it that way. Yeah. Or you can say, this guy is so bad that he's hiding assets. He's not being honest with the court, and the whole case should be thrown out. And that's an objection to the discharge in total. And so if that whole case is essentially thrown out of bankruptcy due to them being dishonest, can that individual go and file bankruptcy again? They can, but the debts that were denied discharge in the first case cannot be discharged in the second case. So they, the, the debtor can incur more debt, I suppose, five years later, and file on those debts, but, but it not can't the original the, ones. Not the original. Got it. And are you talked about it a little bit, so I won't ask, are there costs associated with filing bankruptcy? But what are the costs? How much is it going to cost someone to file bankruptcy? Great, great question. Everyone asked me that. Even my wife asked me that. How do you get paid from a person yeah, who doesn't have any money? Yeah, I'm sure that was the first question your wife asked you. So uh, how do you make money if yeah. you're helping people that have no money? How, how does this work? <laughs> So, was that the question right before <laughs> she said yes or no to you when you were on one knee? She's like, first, you got to tell me, how are right, you making the money? Right, right after I proposed, she said, now, let me ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a, you know, that's a fair question. Generally speaking, a, a, a no-asset, relatively simple bankruptcy will cost anywhere from, depending on who you use, anywhere from $500 to $1,000. There is a filing fee. Just went up to $338. So that's a big charge. Um, but the court will waive it if you can show that you're below the poverty line, basically. In addition to that, there are a number of pro bono services. I'm on a pro bono panel. So if you are really in need, uh, you can go to this pro bono program and get assigned a free lawyer, basically. 
um, if you meet certain qualifications. And just for all the listeners out there that may not know what pro bono means, it just means essentially they're going to do it for free. Right. And you now that's our, our civic duty, right? We try and pay back. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's go into taxes and debts in terms of taxes because Stuart is well aware my family's in the tax business. That's what I plan to go into as well. You're problem solving people's financial problems, same as we are, just in a different manner. But if someone owes the IRS or they owe the state of Michigan, is that debt going to be wiped away from just filing bankruptcy? So this is one of the things I hope your, your listeners learn about very quickly about life. Life, there's always taxes in, in life. Yep. <laughs> and there's lots of different types of taxes, right? Mm -hmm. There's income taxes, there's sales taxes, there's real estate taxes, and, and what have you. And just like there are so many different types of taxes, they're, they're treated differently in, under the bankruptcy code. So when an individual is an entrepreneur and hires somebody, and they say to that person, you're going to get paid 100 bucks a week to work for me. Maybe I should raise it to 1000 bucks a week, but it's, let's say it's a, <laughs> I can keep the math simple, 100 yeah. bucks a week. At the end of the week, you give that individual $80. And the individual says, where are my other 20? And you say, well, I got to give that to the federal government. That's your withholding taxes, right? Or to the state of Michigan or for Medicare or Social Security, whatever it yeah. is. And those are referred to as trust fund taxes. I, the entrepreneur business, and those are referred to as trust fund taxes. I, the entrepreneur businessman, am holding those in trust, and I have to turn it over to the government. When I don't do that, I've stolen the money from the government. Those are called trust fund taxes. And those taxes are never discharged in any bankruptcy. Got it. Okay? But alternatively, when the entrepreneur or businessman files his own taxes or her taxes, and says, oh, at the end of the year, I owe the government $10,000 in, in income taxes, and I don't have it. After so many years go by, basically three years, I can get rid of those taxes in bankruptcy. Wow. So, or alternatively, I can go to like your father yeah, of <laughs> and, course. and try and work something out with of the course. government, especially with trust fund taxes. We do that all the time. Of course, yes. Yeah. So, so you have to be at a very very, I guess it would be a unique situation where if someone is specifically going to file bankruptcy because of the debt of taxes, I think, uh, I don't know in your scenario, but it's that would be a pretty rare occurrence and it would have to be a significant amount of money. Does that seem accurate? It, it does. It, it really, you know, A, you got to make sure that they're old. Yeah. You got to be over three years old. And there's a lot of other technical requirements that have to be filled. So, that's when I call in the experts, the best of the best. Yeah. And I call in Levy and Associates. Awesome. Yeah. And if you do ever need any help with your taxes, whether it's filing your taxes, tax day is coming up, or you have IRS or state tax problems, check out our website, levytaxhelp.com. Give us a call, 1-800-TAX-LEVY. We are here to solve your problems and to be here for you for all matters tax-related. But getting back to bankruptcy, Stuart, let's talk about <laughs> high net worth people or major corporations that you see on TV, I see on TV. This person filed bankruptcy, that person filed bankruptcy. How are these high net worth individuals or businesses filing bankruptcy and remaining to, I guess I'll use the word, keep up the lifestyle that they're living? How are they not 
losing it all. I mean, they're filing bankruptcy. Can you explain that to great, us? Great question. You know, we see sports stars do it all the time. It's sort of sad. They're getting millions of dollars and they're spending more than they're earning, just like you and me sometimes, yeah. <laughs> just like individuals. So they're, they're human and we all make mistakes. So the answer to that is when, when an individual files bankruptcy, uh, an estate is created. It's called a bankruptcy estate. It's very similar to a probate estate. When an individual dies, everything that individual owns goes into this estate. But the estate for an individual who files a Chapter 7 bankruptcy is limited to that day. So the next day, if that person goes out and earns income, that does not become property of the estate. If that person buys a lotto ticket the day after bankruptcy and becomes a winner, that money does not come into the bankruptcy estate. So when a high net worth person has resources to continue to live and continue to earn income, and none of that goes into the bankruptcy estate. So what is the benefit of these high net worth individuals if they do have, going with your situation, uh, if they do have a way to sustain their lifestyle, they have money coming in, why would they not just pay off that debt? What is the benefit of filing bankruptcy to essentially get rid of that debt or create a new plan? What's the benefit in that? Sometimes it's insurmountable. Sometimes the banks or the lenders won't work with them. So you're going to do what I mentioned before. You're going to try and do a workout. And sometimes workouts don't work out because you need two parties to agree. Yeah. You know, just because you make a proposal doesn't mean the lenders agree to it. And they say, hey, I think you can pay more. And you can say, well, I, I don't think I can. And if I don't, your option is to get the crumbs that are left in my Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Yeah. That's the threat. Definitely. That, well, that's interesting because I always wondered, I was always curious. I, that was a question I wanted to ask for myself because it's <laughs> like you see these people, they're making tons of money, they're doing very well for themselves, their businesses are doing well, and then they go and file bankruptcy. It's, keep why, keep why in are mind, too, that? you know, whether it's a high net worth person or an individual with a home, as I, as I said uh, earlier, those items have mortgages on them and liens on them. So the individual can keep that big home as long as they can afford the mortgage. Yeah. Doesn't mean the home is free and clear and they can sell it and, you know, walk away with the money. They got to pay off the mortgage. So even though they filed bankruptcy and they've been able to keep their home and their cars, it just means that they're able to maintain the payments through future income. Got it. And that makes sense for sure. Before we transition off of bankruptcy and conclude the interview, I have a few more questions I want to ask you about bankruptcy. And obviously, like I've reiterated two or three times thus far, the majority of the listeners on this show are younger. And as someone who deals with people that have had crises in their life, they've made mistakes, whatever it may be, what advice or what are some tips you would give to someone my age about what they can do in their life to sort of ensure that they won't end up needing to file bankruptcy? Where are these, you know, where can they not go wrong? What can they do? Great, great question. You know, the internet has created this great universe of knowledge, and I strongly recommend anybody who is just starting out in life to go on to these credit counseling websites and work on a budget. It's not fun. You know, everybody thinks that they can just keep on spending. Hey, got a credit card with $5,000 credit limit, and you can just go and have a great time. But you got to understand that at some point you got to pay the piper. And so I think it's important to understand to always try and live within your means. 
Again, probably what your parents tell you from, of from day one, but it's a well-earned lesson to know about. And so going online, going to uh, Credit Counselors of America or, or wherever you want to go to, just search, how do I prepare a budget and living within your means? We all like instant gratification, no doubt about it. We all want to go on a vacation. We all want to travel. But at the same time, you got to understand that at some point you're going to have to maintain it. The biggest thing that I recommend to my own kids is try and avoid buying something on credit. I mean, nothing wrong with using a credit card. Please pay it off at the end of the month. Of course. Because what drives me crazy when I see uh, individuals that come in and they hand me their bank statements, there's all these late fees, overcharge fees. Those are real money that's coming out of your bank account every day because you didn't balance that out. Yeah, so it's a balancing act, knowing what you can and knowing what you cannot do. And I think more so for my age with social media and you only see the good parts of social media and you only see what the positive parts of what's happening in someone's life. No one's ever posting anything negative. People try and maintain an image and a lifestyle that they may not be able to keep up with monetarily. And that's why I think especially people my age might get lost in life and try and keep up this lifestyle of doing all these things, having all these things. And in reality, they're actually just living month to month as well. And and then his next month, is that money going to be coming in sort of thing? Sad story these days. The kids your age are obviously dealing with student loans. It's a major, major problem. And uh, hopefully uh, it's going to be resolved sooner rather than later. But they're being laden with debt from the get-go, and it's very, very hard to get out from underneath it. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second in terms of bankruptcy. Is student debt considered secured, not secured? And can you file bankruptcy and get rid of student debt? How does that work? Yeah, it's a great, great question as well. It is an unsecured debt, but it's a non-dischargeable debt. Uh, <laughs> that's like the, the catch right yeah, there. Yeah, right. But they're hopeful. They keep talking about changing the bankruptcy code to allow a certain portion of it to be discharged. It is actually dischargeable if you can prove what's called an undue hardship. But uh, the case law that has come out for undue hardships make it almost impossible to do so. I actually had a case a few years ago where the person was in jail for like 20 years. And the judge found that to be an undue hardship and allowed the debt to go away. Oh, wow. Um, because there was no hope of repayment yeah, you know, anytime of soon. Course. But it's very, very rare to get that uh, get that done. Yeah, student debt is a topic that I'm very conflicted on personally. And we don't get into politics on the show, but it's definitely an interesting topic. So just know uh, I've had people on my show that have gone to college, haven't gone to college, whatever it may be. You have to know what's best for you. I always recommend going to college, even incurring the debt. Because at the end of the day, in America right now, a college degree is most likely going to help you succeed a little bit more than not. But again, you'd have to know your situation. You have to know if you're better off not going to school, if you're better off going to school. And don't feel like if I don't go, I'm going to have a regret because I don't want to incur this debt. Listen, everything happens for a reason. I'm a true believer in that. And you have to work hard, stay determined, and don't lose your focus on what your end goal is. But Stuart... We are winding down to the end of the interview here. And before we switch topics to a more general life-centered conversation, is there anything you want to add about bankruptcy? Or do you think we sort of covered all the basic level stuff that someone should know if they're beginning to learn or they want to learn about bankruptcy? Yeah, I think we've done a good overview 
of it. Obviously, there's a lot. <laughs> a yeah, lot to it's know so about. complex, and that's <laughs> it's so hard when you have all these topics that aren't taught in school to fit into a 45 minute to an hour conversation. But at least anyone that's going to listen to this is going to take away some knowledge about it that they didn't have before, and hopefully they can build upon that knowledge in the outside world. And now, when they're sitting at home with their significant other, their family, and they see someone file bankruptcy on TV, they're going to say, "Hey, I listen to Stewart and Maverick, and they were talking about what that means." And hopefully they can, you know, hit the nail on the head with that one and, sure. and talk about us and talk about the show and everything in between. Now, like I said, switching gears here, generally speaking, what is one thing that you think being an attorney has helped you do or achieve in your life besides create success? <laughs> it, it's just the knowledge of human nature, how to deal with people. Look, when an individual comes into my office, they're scared, they're frightened, they think they're going to lose everything, their shirt on their back, their cars, their houses, their kids, their dog, whatever, and they don't know where else to turn. And so being an attorney, to me, is providing a certain amount of empathy, understanding that these aren't bad people, they made a mistake, they didn't mean to make a mistake, they didn't mean to get laid off, they didn't mean to lose their job, and they're looking for you and the bankruptcy code for some help. And I think that's helped me deal with life myself. That's awesome. That's an awesome answer. I totally see, you know, we were, we're both in the problem solving world, shall we say. And similar with you, with us, it's a very emotional time when someone owes money, whether it's to a creditor, or whether it's to the government, it's very emotional. I'm sure people tell you the same things they tell us that they can't sleep at night. They are so stressed out, they're crying, they're emotional, because it is, it's a weight on someone's shoulders when they get themselves into a position like this. Absolutely. I appreciate that answer, and I love to see the good and you wanting and enjoying to help solving people's problems and making them get to a better place, whether it's financially, mentally, physically, however it affects that person. But for the last question of the interview, Stuart, Excuse me, not the last question. Okay. This is the second to last question. Penultimate. Okay. If someone is interested in being a bankruptcy attorney, how can they get their feet wet to gain some experience? What can they do? What do you have to offer up to them about trying to gain some experience, getting their feet wet with this? So go find a good bankruptcy attorney and ask if you can shadow him or her. Absolutely. I, uh, when we, uh, before the pandemic, we had these chapter seven trustee hearings, and they were open to the public. And I would invite law students to come into the hearing room and just see how the examination goes for an individual debtors. And they can come into my office and see the bankruptcy documents that have been filed that list the assets and liabilities and statement of financial affairs. So they can get a, a little bit of feel of how this process works. I happen, because I've been around so long, I know the judges, and I have no problem introducing them to the judges. The judges are great in the Eastern District of Michigan. Their doors are always open, and they love talking about this practice, because it is a great practice. It's a great bar for people to become involved. That's and I, awesome. And I look forward to dealing with you and your, yeah. <laughs> your demographics coming yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So... Now it's time for the last question. And this is one I ask all my guests. It's just about life in general. And that is, Stuart, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? Oh, yeah. That's a long time ago. Every, everyone, <laughs> everyone I ask the question to, I love it because they all give that side. They're like, oh. Yeah, what do yeah. I wish I knew? I think that probably 
The thing that comes to mind is uh, I have two daughters that I love dearly, and they're both married to nice Chicago boys, and they moved away and live in Chicago. Just realizing that life is full of sacrifices. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're there for you. You know, what do I want to do tonight? Where do I want to go tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. You know, but when you settle down and have a family, then you have to realize that some of that moves to the side, and you now you've got your wife and your family to start worrying about and moving on with that. And so, yeah, do you got to think about it when you're 20? No. <laughs> but but uh, as you move up uh, in age and you want some companionship and what, what it takes to, um, to compromise and be with another human being. That's a great answer. That is not an answer <laughs> I've ever had on the show before, and I absolutely love it. Because what it made me think of is that I have this saying I sort of end the show with, you know, every other time, every time. It's always lead by example, but help others along the way. And that sort of goes with what you're saying that, you know, you need to be in control some of the time, but a lot of the time you want to help others get to where they want to be in life. And that's a, it's a great explanation. I love that you're a family man. I love everything about that. But Sadly, this has been the end of the interview. I appreciate you coming on the show, coming into the office and talking about this. And if there's ever any big cases, we might have to bring you on and talk about it to break it down, what's going on, so the listeners can be in the know of what's going on. But Maverick, you're doing a great job and a great service. I uh, continue. I keep it going. Thank you. I appreciate it, Stuart. We'll be in touch for sure. Take care. For all my listeners... I want you to know that bankruptcy is the very last resort. You should be responsible enough not to get to that point where you do have to file bankruptcy. Of course, there are unique circumstances where one is not able to help what happened to them. And everyone is totally understanding of those situations. But there are times where people are filing and it's due to them being irresponsible, not taking care of payments that needed to be paid, not taking care of certain things that needed to happen. And then they end up in this trap and dig themselves in this hole. And I don't want any of you all, my listeners of the show, to ever go through or experience something like that. But if you do need to, you now know who the best of the best is. And if you go to tbotbpod.com, you can find a way to contact Stuart, look at his website, et cetera, et cetera. But although it may be somewhat common for people to file bankruptcy, as you just heard, you know that I tell all of you every week, I hold you to a higher standard. And that standard is being a leader. So lead with your finances, show your friends how to budget, show your friends what you've learned from this show. Tell them to listen because not just for me to have a benefit of having more listeners of the show, but to educate people so they know I'm not going to make this mistake in my life. I don't want to end up being a client of Stuart Gold's if I don't have to be because there's times where you can control the outcome of a situation. There's times where you can't or there's times where things just get out of hand and you don't realize it until after the fact. So be aware of what's going on in your life and always remember that Anything you do in life, just like I told Stuart, you lead by example while helping others along the way. That's it for today's episode, everyone. Please keep spreading the word about the show. Tell some friends. Make sure you're subscribing. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, please leave a five-star review as it helps the show a lot. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to everyone next Wednesday. You just listened to another episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. 
talk to everyone soon.